This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Your Money on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Your Money, Sirius XM, Channel 132, Business Radio, that's powered by the Wharton School. And I'm Kent Smethers, professor here at Wharton Campus in Philadelphia. We're still taping segments on Zoom until we can safely begin live shows from the studio. In the meantime, you can go to my website and connect with me there at kentonmoney.com. And again, I have a list of fee-only advisors I've screened there. Uh, for my approach to low-cost passive index investing, as well as, of course, being fee-only. Again, that's kentonmoney.com. So amid all the challenges we faced this year, including a global pandemic and uh, various unrest, many charities and philanthropies are saying that they've seen the increase in support for those most impacted by this uh, challenging environment. So now is a good time to help those in need, but it's also a good time to make sure that you're optimizing your taxes for 2020. So joining me this segment is Casey Vanderstrick, who is principal of MIT's Solve uh, Innovation Future Fund, uh, which invests in early stage social entrepreneurs, uh, solving some of the world's most pressing problems. It's organized as a donor advice fund. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. What is ADAPT and how can you take advantage of it yourself? Uh, welcome to the show, Casey. Thanks so much for having me, Kent. That setup, it's like you planned it. But I can't wait to jump into the conversation. <laughs> Great. Uh, so we've talked a little bit about ADAPT's donor advice uh, funds on this show. I've used one myself quite a bit. Uh, just remind us a little bit, what is a DAF, a donor advised fund, and how does it work for kind of everyday investors? Yeah, a donor advised fund is a really interesting solution for individuals and, and the everyday investor. Effectively, an alternative to a foundation, a donor advised fund functions as a bank account. Um, so you and I, with as little as $500 on, on various DAF sponsors, can open a donor advised fund account. When we make that deposit of capital, we can take the tax write-off in the year. So this year, especially given some of the incentives um, to increase charitable giving, um, it's a great year to make those donations and take that tax write-off, but this could happen in any year. And the fun feature of a donor advised fund that really differentiates it from a foundation is that there are no disbursement requirements. Um, so you can make a donation to a DAF and then aggregate capital over time. Eventually, the, the funding does need to be granted out. Um, and what we're exploring at Solve Innovation Future is what to do between when you grant that capital out and when you make the deposit. Um, so we can talk a lot about some of the fun investing that you can do along the way. Yeah, yeah. And it's a... Uh... A very interesting, as you pointed out, I always refer to it as kind of an endowment for the little yeah. guy like myself yeah. in particular. You know, uh, when you actually make your contribution to the DAF, uh, technically speaking, you've made your charitable contribution at that point. In fact, the largest charity in the United States is no longer United Way. It's the Fidelity Donor Advice Fund, exactly. Um, exactly. which is very, very interesting. So talk about some of the benefits of the DAF. We already talked about, you know, this. The minimum distribution rule associated with endowment doesn't hold, although you eventually have to, uh, you know, distribute the money. And technically, you're making a recommendation to the DAF to distribute Correct. that money. But, uh, you know, talk about some of the other, other benefits of the DAF. 
Yeah. So I think the, the number one and multifaceted benefit of using a donor advised fund is flexibility. Um, and what that means is that you are not confined by sector um, specificity. You're not confined by asset class, should you choose to invest versus grant those funds. Uh, and you're really not constrained geographically. Um, there's not necessarily a requirement that you move that capital towards any specific entity. Um, and that's really fun from an investment perspective. And really what we're exploring at Solve Innovation Future and hoping to prove out to the field is that Investments via DAF are an extremely efficient form of philanthropy. And if you can move capital that's been earmarked for good, to your point on these are this counts towards your charitable contribution at the time of contribution, um, you have the opportunity to recycle that capital several times over should you make an investment that sees proceeds. Um, so I think that there's something really interesting there. I also think um, there is there's a lot of learning and potential to aggregate capital out of DAFs. And so an individual, I like your idea of the endowment for the, for the everyman, I may not in one year have enough charitable um, capital to be able to support a specific project or make an investment that is of a minimum ticket that I would like. But if I contribute over several years, all of a sudden I may be able to um, you know, support a project holistically or participate in a round that I wouldn't necessarily have had access to. So I think that that flexibility, both in terms of end state um, in terms of how the capital flows, but also in terms of size and potential impact is really important from a donor advised fund. Yeah, I'm gonna talk about some of the tax benefits. I mean, this is actually part of the controversy about DAFs is that yeah. in some ways they're even more tax efficient than simply you know realizing some capital gains and giving out the, the cash. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so, and I think this year it's especially complicated because we know the CARES Act has allowed for additional charitable contribution to offset capital gains specifically, and certainly um, yeah. this is an interesting year for, for that type of math. Um, but really, tactically, a contribution to a donor advised fund counts as a charitable contribution to a 501c organization or a nonprofit organization. Technically, uh, the sponsors or managers of a donor advised fund uh, account uh, must be public charities, so they have to be aggregators of capital. They can look really different. They can be giants like Fidelity Charitable, or they can be local community foundations that are relatively small. Um, but the, the sort of number one and bottom line point around donor advised funds is that you, the opportunity for a tax write-off happens in the first year of contribution. Um, over time, the capital that sits in the fund can grow. Um, typically, and, and to your point on some of the bad rap that donor advised funds have gotten, the capital that's been con contributed has really kind of been stale or stagnant while individuals decide what type of grant making they would like to do with that capital. Um, and so mm. the thing has really been invested passively um, in different index funds or mutual funds, depending on whoever the sponsor may be or whomever the sponsor may be. What we're suggesting is that there's an opportunity to use that capital rather than passively investing it in an index fund and rather to make some really interesting impact focused um, investments with capital that's been earmarked for good. So it's risk tolerant. It should go towards the mo those most in need or most innovating to solve some of the world's most pressing problems. 
problems. Um, and we can do that to your point with a, with a tax advantage. Um, and so that's a really excellent uh, opportunity, I think, for individuals and for organizations broadly. Yeah, yeah, and certainly, I mean, one of the double tax benefits of the DAF is that you wipe out the cost basis, uh, even the cost basis that happen outside of the DAF. So you give a appreciated equity, make sure you don't sell those equities, donate that equity directly to the DAF, and you wipe out the cost basis, and you, in fact, uh, get a, a deduction against your AGI, your adjusted gross income, up to 30% of your AGI. Which is a you know for a larger I've hit up against that thirty percent so many times but you know for a larger you know uh, charitable contribution from appreciated assets you're you're getting a double tax benefit because if you first sold those assets and then realized the cash and then gave away that cash then you 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 would have realized those capital gains and so it is a it is a pretty efficient <laughs> tax vehicle in, in that sense and as you pointed out you also can get you know. Uh, essentially, once you give away that money, um, it could, you could actually invest it until you make those dis recommendations for distributions and they can grow uh, tax-free uh, tax uh, there as well. Um, so it's, 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 it's pretty uh, interesting and also controversial for, that, for, that, for those reasons. Um, so it's interesting that you know we all understand the Vanguard to the Fidelis and so forth, but there's some kind of funky dafts out there. Like you could even sell a secondary home and have those first, those capital gains go directly into that DAF, which is uh, um, and go directly to a charitable contribution. So it's it's very fascinating uh, kind of area. Uh, so you, when you, when you're looking for a, you know a, a DAF kind of administrator, we talked about fidelity and so forth. Uh, what are some of the things that people should be looking for? I mean, there's again the big boys like our big people like uh, Fidelity and uh, Vanguard, but there's a lot of more funky. Uh, staff administrators yeah. out there. So what, what, are, what are some things that people should be looking for? Yeah, I think there are three things that primarily folks should be looking for. Um, and really there's maybe one that trumps the others given how active or passively you'd like to manage your donor advised fund. Um, so the, yeah. the question that we ask ourselves and as we talk to DAF sponsors is, are the systems in place for direct investment in social enterprise? Um, and not all hmm. DAF sponsors are at a stage where this new form of use of capital coming out of a donor advised fund, um, it, the systems are not quite set up for that. So that's that's the first question that I would ask. Right. Can I actually make an investment in a for-profit company out of this staff? Usually there does need to be some sort of impact purpose for the company. Although, as I say, if you're investing passively in an index fund, there's likely some there's likely some companies in that fund that are not necessarily uh, contributing to the health and wellness of people and planet. Um, but so that's the first question I would ask. The second question I would say is does this staff sponsor have some sort of geographic presence that is helpful to me um, and or do I care? And so there are some big national players like your Fidelities or your Schwabs or your Vanguards, um, but there also are some local community foundations that are doing pretty innovative and important direct work um, in the community. So I think that that's something to really think about. Those organizations tend to be a little bit smaller, not necessarily agile, but um, a little bit more um, that may have be, be a little bit higher touch for an individual, um, depending on the sort of size of your donor advised fund. And the last piece I would think about specifically is around thematic presence. So for example, we talked to a number mm. of 
organizations or other organizations that are coming up with public charity vehicles to be able to do this type of work. And some of them are really focused on cross-marketing opportunities for holders of donor advised fund accounts. And so if you really care about XYZ issue and you're excited to use your donor advised fund to make investments and grants to drive change, to those specific, that specific sector, then there may be a player who is less well-known to your point, but who may have expertise in life sciences or may have expertise in uh, social entrepreneurship or may have expertise in pick your specific issue area. Um, so those are the three pieces that I think about. Um, certainly there are more questions just in terms of what is the customer experience like? Do I have to structure investments myself or, or do you have a team that can help me do that? Um, do you have cross-marketing opportunities in that I can contribute to a pool of funds and then that pool of funds can go towards grant-making investment opportunities among other? But I would start with a, can I make direct investments in teams? Do I care about the geography? Um, and is there a thematic focus? Yeah, yeah. So it, it's important to kind of separate this, you know, when, once I make this contribution to my DAF, you know, how do I invest that money until I make recommendations for those distributions? So that's kind of the investment stage. And that's what you're talking about right now. It's not so much the distribution stage, but it's that investment period. Is that right? Exactly right. So at Solve Innovation Future, we're actually using the investment dollars um, to make direct investment. Yeah to support social entrepreneurs. So these are effectively early stage investments in seed and series A rounds for entrepreneurs that are focused on solving the world's most pressing problems. Yeah, and if, if there is a big return on that somehow, then that's additional money that you could actually then donate during the kind of the, the, the donation recommendation phase. Yeah, donate or reinvest, which is where I think this gets back to yeah. an efficient form of capital because while this funding doesn't necessarily come back to me and or to you as the right. uh, advisor, it's going back into the fund and you're gro growing the pool of capital that can be granted or invested again. And so in our scenario, we're building a recyclable evergreen vehicle where our investments in our solver teams are going back into future uh, solver teams and really paying it forward. Um, and that's where this philanthropic source of capital allows you to take some risk and invest in some really innovative technologies that your traditional portfolio, even if you're allocated 10% you know, plus to venture, may not make some of those investments. And I think these are the investments that might actually accelerate some of our progress towards, um, towards healthy people and planet. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, it, so certainly, so we have these two stages, the investment period and then the donation period. Talk about some of the rules then. I mean, certainly you can't invest in the, you know, your own company and things like that. There's, there's issues about self-dealing and how, you know, as well as how you make the eventual donations and so forth, where there's, uh, you know, certain, you know, firewalls or rules uh, regarding that. Uh, but talk about some of the rules. Once you make an, uh, a contribution to your donor advice fund, before you officially distribute those money uh, uh, by making a, a donation kind of recommendation to your DAF to, to distribute those money, you're talking about this investment period. How long can explain how long the money can last in that investment period and uh, before you, you eventually uh, distribute that money? So, yeah. So what's interesting about this is, and, and listen, the world may change, but at the moment there are not rigid rules about when the funding goes out the door in the form of grants. And that's been one of the big attacks on DAF, DAFs in the last five to 10 years is that there is, uh, there are 
hundreds of billions of dollars sitting in accounts that aren't necessarily being moved um, and aren't being moved towards the charitable purpose that they were intended. I think that that is somewhat misguided um, because more funding is flowing out of DAFs than ever before, but the amount of capital under DAF management continues to grow. So it's a really interesting right. question um, because we're moving more capital towards charitable purpose than ever before. But yes, that may be a smaller percentage than if 100% of this capital were being granted out every year. So leaving that aside, yeah, yeah. yeah we think about um, the first around excess business holdings and we protect around excess business holdings in a couple of different ways. Um, as you noted, there's a very specific DAF requirement where once you make your contribution, you, the investor, make a contribution to a donor advised fund, you no longer own the assets. That is how the charitable contribution tax write-off occurs. In that scenario, you are in this scenario, you become the donor advisor and you are making recommendations to a sponsor who can or cannot um, choose to, or may or may not choose to follow your recommendations. Um, and in that scenario, often the sponsor has regulations in place or should have regulations in place to protect on excess business, business holdings. Um, and in that it may be that there are limits to the amount of investment you can make in one entity. Uh, it may be that you need to be ring fenced from your participation in that entity, be it serving on a board or among other. But that is that's one thing that, that you need to think about in terms of making uh, investments in entities to whom you are related. We protect against that. Um, by asking for disclosure from our board members about around their potential involvement in different entities. And that could be, you know, friends or family. Um, and then we also ring fence our investment committee from these decisions by ultimately having that be a recommending body. Um, so we're really recommending to recommenders. And in that scenario, you provide enough protection. Right, right. That as long as you're thoughtful um, and I think ethical, frankly, um, you should be fine in terms of excess business holding questions. Um, and really that plays yeah. in conflict and self-benefit piece. I will say, I think there's probably some gray area here and I think these regs may be changed over time. Um, but where I think this will come to head is actually co-investment in future rounds. Because as you can imagine, Given the source of capital, this this is a DAFs are a really great source of capital for investment in early stage risky entrepreneurs, um, and we're definitely seeing dollars flow in that way or to those types of entities. Should those companies be successful, they prevent, present real investment opportunity in the future. Um, and I think there's some interesting questions about participating, co-investing in follow-on rounds if you were a part of or adjacent to a DAF that was making an investment in an early stage round. Um, at this point, I would yeah. sort of overall percentage holding. Um, and if you were less than 20 or 30%, I think there's you're, you're likely fine. Um, but I would, I would say that's something to watch out for and uh, maybe double check with counsel before you moved forward with those co-investments in future rounds. Yeah, and there's certainly a lot of you know gray areas and there's a lot of confusion between that investment, that initial contribution and that investment stage and then the donation stage. And so uh, and I'm, and I'm glad you reemphasize the point that you can always make these uh, these donations at any point in the future. The one rule that sometimes people get confused on is a five-year rule in terms of tax benefit. And I've ran up against this myself. Once you hit that 30%, if you're trying to, if you know, if you donate $100,000 and 30% of your AGI is only say $30,000, uh, you know, you can only take that $30,000 right off the first year, but then you 
that additional $70,000 eventually has to be written off your taxes over the next subsequent uh, five years. And so that people confuse that, the tax benefit, uh, with the actual requirements to distribute um, uh -huh. uh, the funds. And those are two, two separate issues. Um, yeah. So that's why I was trying to clarify there. So thank uh, Casey, fantastic. And so uh, thanks for coming on the show. Just explain everything around DAFs. And if you, um, the listener wants to hear more about what your guys are doing at MIT, they just simply go to your website, MIT um, Solve, and that is at solve.mit.edu. Uh, thanks so much for coming on to the show. Thanks so much, Ken. It was really great to chat. All right. Well, uh, and again, uh, Ken Smothers, you're listening to your money. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 